I love preaching on the families because I love the family and I love the home. There is a part of it where I don't like preaching on about the family because I'm telling you, whenever I speak on the home, Terry and I fuss more during this time of the year than we do any other time of the year. I was flying back last night from my nephew's graduation. I sat beside a couple who teach a marriage enrichment class in their church. And I said, let me just throw something out at you here. I said, this is what happens to me. Does it happen to you? And they both laughed and they said, every time we do it. So if I look grumpy this week and you say, oh, I bet they had a fuss, you're probably right, you know, and... uh that's just kind of where that thing rolls. But we're going to talk about power words for your family. I got the idea several years ago from uh, James Montgomery, who pastors a church in Wheaton, Illinois. And I want to speak to our families and cover a wide range of issues and topics. I, I don't want to skim the surface. I don't want to offer you quick fixes. I want to go deep. I want to try to root out some core issues. I want to try to address some, some deep-seated uh, things that may be going on in, in your family. And I realize in our congregation, we have married folks, reconciled homes, divorced folks, even folks who are separated right now. My goal is not to beat you down or to make you feel guilty. My goal is to help you in your present and hopefully to encourage you into the future. Now by family, I'm referring to your current situation or your current household. The truths will be applicable to singles and marriage, divorced, divorced and newlywed. It's going to be even applicable for those of you who have been married so long you can't even remember when you got married because you just always have been that merry thing. Now, I do want to say up front that there are two groups of people that the truths that I'm going to share uh, are really not going to be very beneficial for, uh, if not impossible to apply because of the nature of your relationship. If you are living together and not married, the truths that I'm going to share with you are, are not going to, they're going to be very, very hard to apply in your relationship because you don't have a biblical basis for that relationship or a biblical foundation for it. Or if you're in a same-sex relationship, the Bible clearly teaches against that, and the truths that we present while there may be a smattering of things that you could say, hey, that would be good, won't apply again because we believe, according to Scripture, that there's not a biblical basis for your relationship. But for the rest of us, I do hope that it is a time where we just reaffirm that God has established marriage in the home. His design is for one man and one woman be recognized as man and wife in a committed covenant relationship under the law of the land with the sanction and blessing of the church. We believe in marriage. We believe in the home. We believe in purity before and after marriage. We believe that marriage is a great gift from God and it should be treated that way even though you want to kill each other sometimes in the process. And we all said, yeah. Well, we're going to use kind of a, a, a Scrabble theme. How many of you play Scrabble? Yeah? Well, I like to play Scrabble. My family, every Friday night when I was a kid, they would go to my, my Aunt Jean's house in Spring Valley, Ohio, and they would play uh, Scrabble, and we'd play in the barns and out in the farm field, and that's where I learned what cockleberries were and all that kind of stuff, because I am a city boy. And, uh, but I do love playing. I, I, I really enjoy playing with one lady here in the church. Her name is Jereen Wilson, and, uh, and I beat her all the time at Scrabble, and she just... 
she just has a hard, hard time accepting that fact. Matter of fact, Perry, her husband, whenever he beats her, he always sends me a, a quick text or a little email, you know, and it's just kind of a, a, a fun thing to do. But if you've never played Scrabble, the idea is you get seven letters, and sometimes we'll have less than seven on our board, and, and sometimes we'll have more than seven. But you kind of take it, and you just kind of arrange it, and, and, and you just try to figure out, you know, maybe what might be a good, uh, uh, a good word for you to put on the board. Now, if you're the first guy who starts on the board, you get double points because you get to put it on the star. And, uh, and so you just kind of get to, to pick and choose what... Uh, what may be good for, for you to start off with? Well, as we talk about power words for the family, let me just kind of tell you what I think we need to start with, all right? Uh, just a, a couple of clues. Some of you may be in a situation where, uh, where you look at your family and you go, you know what? Uh, I, I really need some, uh, uh, I, I really need to learn how to cope, you know, because my family, man, right now, we are just in trouble. You think you have troubles right now, preacher? I'm telling you, we have, we have major issues in our home, and I just kind of need uh, to know how to cope, you know? Some of you may say, you know what, I don't need to know how to cope. I just need some rope because I'm going to hang some people in my house, you know? You say, I'm just tired of the coping mess. We're just going right on to, to the killing. And, and then some of you might even, uh, might, might even say, uh, nope, you know, it's just, it just ain't working and never going to work. But obviously the first word that we're going to talk about this week is, oh, I'm sorry. Jereen does that all the time and she bends over and picks up two new pieces and... and uh, <laughs> and just, the first word we're going to talk about is hope. It's the word hope. And every family's got to have hope. Matter of fact, moms, the greatest gift you can give to your children is to be dispensers of hope. Our children hear nine out of every ten comments that they hear is negative. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. You can never do that. Why can't you be as smart as, you know... Your brother, why can't you be as smart as that? Why can't you do that? Why can't you hit the ball like the other kids on it? Why don't you pay attention in right field instead of picking the clovers and trying to find a dandelion? Nine out of every ten is negative. But mom, you and dad are to be dispensers of hope. We live in a world now where kids are more and teenagers are more disillusioned than they have ever, ever been before. And so we need this thing of hope. Hope can do incredible things, and nothing brings great hope or greater discouragement than the family. We all have different ideas of what it is. You can live without a lot of things, but I'm telling you, you cannot, you cannot, and your family cannot function without hope. Turn to somebody right now and finish this sentence, all right? And I want you to do it. Here's the sentence. I'm hoping that... Go ahead, turn to somebody, finish the sentence. I'm hoping that. I'm hoping that you'll give a million dollars today. Now, probably whatever you just said is more of a wish than a hope. Now, see, here's where we've got to get our definition straight. A wish and wishing is wanting with no basis or source but you. 
You're the source of the wish. You're the basis of the wish. And if it comes through, it's because you brought it to be true, but hope is completely different. Hope isn't just more intense wishing. Hope is expecting and trusting God to be true to his word. The source of our hope as believers in Jesus Christ is that God will do in his word what he says he will do. That God has made us promises, that his character, he has revealed his character and his attributes to us, and that God will be faithful and true to do what he says he will do. He will be faithful and true to be who he is. And we can hope in that, and that hope gives us confidence. We don't have to wish our life away. You know, if you wish upon a star, makes no difference. Yeah, just sing it, man. I knew you wanted to. You see, our life is not built on wishing. It's built on hope. In fact, the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27, and and in Romans chapter 15 and verse 3, and in several places in the Old Testament, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 20 through 26, that Jehovah, that Jesus, the Messiah, he is our hope. Hope is not a figment of somebody's imagination. It's not an esoteric philosophy that's out there. It is tightly wound up in the person and the nature and of Jesus Christ. Hope is expecting and trusting God to be true to his word. Hope. And a museum in Deadwood, South Dakota displays this inscription left by a beleaguered gold miner. He said, he wrote, I lost my gun. I lost my horse. I'm out of food and the Indians are after me. But I got all the gold I can carry. I like that one. In a cellar in Cologne, Germany, after World War II, these words were found on a wall. I believe. I believe in the sun when it doesn't shine. I believe in love even when I do not feel it. I believe in God even when he's silent. Hope. Hope is one of those indispensable qualities of life. Years ago, a submarine was in a tragic accident off the coast of Massachusetts. It was ran by another ship. It quickly sank. The entire crew was entombed and trapped in a prison house of death. Ships rushed to the disaster scene off the coast. And we don't know what took place in the sunken submarine. But we can be sure that those men clung bravely to the oxygen as it slowly gave out. The diver got to the, to the sub and placed his element here to the side of the vessel and listened, and he heard a tapping noise. And someone, he learned, was tapping a question in Morris code on the side of the ship. Tap, tap, space. Tap, tap, space. And here's what they were tapping. Is there any Some of you were involved in a family. Some of you were involved in a marriage. Some of you are raising children. And how you pictured it years ago is not where you are at today. And you may be wondering, is there any hope? You may be wondering, is there any resolve to the conflict? Is there any end to the strife? Does it ever get any better? Hope. Hope. Well... The Greek word for hope is elispis. I messed that up. Is elpis, E-L-P-I-S. I was going to impress you with my Greek. I've been all over the place. I can't even speak English anymore. 
It's a simple word that means favorable or confident expectation, and it has to do with unseen and future things. Hope is described as the, the confident anticipation of good. In the New Testament, four adjectives describe this word hope. It's a good hope. It's a blessed hope. It's a living hope, and it's a better hope. And in each one of those descriptive terms, the hope is not, again, some kind of abstract thought. It is the very concrete reality of Jesus Christ. In the Bible, you'll find at least 24 things that hope does. It is an action kind of verb. It's action-oriented. It gives strength. It sees past today. It gives hope in seemingly impossible situations. Hope helps us to endure. Hope encourages us and hope will inspire us. Hope will help us hold on and hope will give us inner peace and hope gives us life again because Jesus is our ultimate hope. The Bible also tells us that there's six things that you can experience in hope. The eyes in hope of the Lord are upon you. God Love rests on them in hope. We have trust in God's word in hope. We'll never be disappointed in hope. We'll have overflowing hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can experience the presence of God Almighty. Sometimes it's helpful for us to look at stories in the Bible to kind of draw out a concept of hope. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Verses 16 through 31. Here's such a scene. Hope is the mantelpiece for Paul and Silas. Paul is an apostle. Silas is a, is, a, is a follower of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't have apostle status, but he's very committed, very loyal, very much a believer. And in verses 16 through 18, we find Paul going to a place of prayer. And he's met by a slave girl. This is a teenage girl that many Bible scholars believe was demonically possessed. She had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned her owners, remember she was a slave girl, she earned her owners a great deal of money by her fortune telling. And she would just follow Paul and Silas around, mocking them and just... You know, every step they took, there she was howling and screaming and and laughing and and being divisive and derisive and, and blasphemous. I mean, at every step. Now, Paul is doing nothing wrong. They're just going to the place of prayer. Have you ever found out that Sunday mornings is one of the most fussiest days of the week? Right? Oh, come on, you've heard me do this many times. You fight like cats and dogs, and you even kick the dog on the way out to church, and then you drive 103 miles an hour in the church parking lot, come to a screeching halt, bang the doors. You walk three miles in front of your wife, and then you hit the door. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine, thanks. And they were going to the house of prayer. Life was good. Verse 18. They cast out the spirit, the evil spirit, from the little girl. Now, all of a sudden, she had hope, but her owners lost hope. Because they had their hope in her to give, to raise them a good bit of money. But now she met hope, Jesus Christ. And they were out of hope because money was lost. Well, they had dragged Paul and Silas in front of the civil authorities. 
they dragged Paul and Silas to be bound and tried. Look at what the Bible says. It says in verse 19, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized, by the way, that's a violent word, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, what did Paul and Silas do? Was there a message in there that they preached? Matter of fact, everything that they said about Paul and Silas never happened. The only thing that happened was they cast out this evil spirit from this little girl, this teenage girl, and these guys lost their capacity to make money. You ever been there as a family member? Kind of like Paul and Silas? You do what you think is best for your family. And boom, it just seems to backfire on you. you. You try to set a standard. You try to live by what's right. You try to engage in conversation. You try to teach a moral value. And man, it just seems to slap you right in the face. Or worse yet, you're just like Paul and Silas. And, 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 and it's just this constant yapping and constant. And they just get worn down. And I know a lot of parents and husbands and wives in that situation today. Oh, they love each other, but man, just the constant stress, just the constant strain of life, and it just wears on you and wears you down and wears you down. And the focus becomes on those things that wear you down instead of the one who gives us hope. Man, Paul and Silas didn't do any of the things they were accused of in verse 20. Look at verses 22 and 24. Then the crowd joined in and attacked Paul and Silas. Man, this day is going from bad to worse. It starts off with this little girl, this teenage girl just kind of following him and is heckling and hounding and, and, and cursing and, and just being divisive and derisive. And, and then all of a sudden her owners get involved. They, they perform a miracle, heal the little girl, then the owners get involved. And now the whole crowd has jumped in and attacked Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. This is not a good day. You know? Look at verse 23. And after they had been severely flogged. Let me just remind you what flogging is. It can be in one of two manners. It can be in the cat of nine tails, which is a, a long leather-like object that branches out in, seven, or in nine different directions, interwoven in the braided leather as pieces of metal, glass, or stone. Or it could be this long whip with, with little balls woven in it with, with little prickly edges. And so that you're bruised by the, by the whip and the, and the weight of the, the ball inside and then cut by the, the prickly and the spikes on the end. I don't know which one it was. I just know they were severely beaten. Now, I have never... My, my, my father and my mom believed in spanking. They never beat me. I'm sure they wanted to many times. But they never beat me. They, they used this thing called a switch. Do you all know what a switch is? 
Yeah, and it's not the light thing on the wall, man. We'd go to the tree, we'd have to get a good branch, had a little whip in it, and you know, and then they you know, and then you have to hand it to your mom and dad. That was like embarrassing. But I've never been beaten. I, I've never been beaten severely. I've never been flogged. I've never been thrown in prison. Now, these guys, Paul and Silas, must have had quite the reputation. Because they were not not allowed any legal defense. They were severely beaten, thrown in jail. And they were commanded, the jailers were, to guard them carefully. And upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell. By the way, the inner cell was where the the highest, um, the treasoners go. the, The terrorists go. Those who commit severe crimes against the state. And they didn't just shut the door, but they put their hands in shackles and their feet in bonds. You get the picture here? I'm talking to some of you, and life circumstances have turned against you. People have beaten you down. Health issues have bounded up. And your family, your marriage seems to be at the breaking point with no hope in sight. Throw in bills and stress and the daily living of life. Throw in terrible twos and torturous teens. Hope erodes away. And for some of you, you look at your family, you look at your spouse, you look at yourself, and hope all but appears to be gone. But you see, sometimes we let circumstances dictate to us how we're to respond instead of us dictating to the circumstances how we will respond. See, hope is a very proactive thing. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. Man, you find something just amazing. Or verse 25, I'm sorry. Verse 25. Because hope is a proactive thing. There are choices that we can make that will give us a different perspective on our situation. Verse 25 tells us that Paul and Silas began and they prayed. And they began to sing. <laughs> and the other prisoners were listening to them. Isn't that incredible? There's three incredible statements in that verse. And each of them get more incredible to me as you read through the verse. The first incredible statement is that they prayed. They prayed. Now, there's different words in the Bible for different types of prayers. This is not the whiny, complainy, oh, why me prayer. This is a triumphant prayer giving God glory and giving God praise to his name. Remember, severely flogged, beaten, the crowd joined in, unjustly tried, thrown in the inner prison, and they are praying. But now they're also singing. Isn't that incredible? singing man one Sunday I wish Don Myers would just say pastor come on up and join us in the praise team you know what I mean does anybody else have that secret kind of thing come on up just join us in the prayer team I grew up in a church where it was kind of hey if you want to sing in the choir this morning come on up I'd start to get up my mom would say nope nope no uh 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 You sit right there, singing. My wife and I do not get the privilege to sit together very often in church because I got this little preaching thing I got to do. And when we do sometimes, I'll hear her hit harmony. And I know what it is, and I recognize when I hear it, and then I'll try, and she'll just pat me on the the leg. 
Pray, and, you know, she's shaking her head, and you all think she's getting blessed. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. She's telling me to hush. I love singing. I have never been beaten physically down and had to sing. But I have been beaten down spiritually, and I did sing. Man, there is something about singing that just lightens the, lightens the heart and encourages the soul. They sang. You ever come to Sunday and sometimes you church you just don't feel like singing? I was laughing Sunday night and some of y'all do the Millie Vanilli thing. You remember Millie Vanilli 20 years ago? They, they didn't really sing, they just kind of... Singing. Sometimes it's hard to sing. I can't imagine much more of a situation any more difficult when all hope appeared to be lost and yet they were singing. They were praying, but the most amazing point in that verse is that others were listening. Mom and dad, let me tell you something. When life gets tough, and you get stressed to the max, and you are at or past the breaking point, your kids are listening. When you have all but spent everything you had, and you have given all you got, I guarantee you, others are watching you. It's easy to enjoy life when life is good, but man, your kids need to understand how to deal with life when life is bad. Now, I'll tell you what, I think Ernie Harwell is a class guy. Man, if anybody ever taught us and demonstrated how to die with dignity, Ernie did. Openly talked about his faith. And I noticed that all the clips they were playing of him, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, he would say, I know where my hope lies. See, when life gets tough, people start watching. You kids watch. I don't care if they're three or they're 13 or 33. You kids watch. And others were listening. You see, now some of you, man, you're sitting there and you're, you're, you're trying to cope. But really the home is more nope than it is anything else. But others are watching and you got to show hope. You have to let your relationship with Jesus Christ come to the forefront. Sunday morning cannot, on the way home from church, cannot be the only time we talk about spiritual truths or the things of God or what goes on at church with our children. It's got to go deeper than, hey, what'd you learn in Sunday school today? They gotta have hope. And they've got to see that, hey, when it's bad for you. In 1982, I graduated from Bible college. Graduated on a Thursday afternoon. Some of you have heard this story. Went to my mama and papa's in Kentucky over the weekend. 
drove home Sunday afternoon. My dad told me Sunday afternoon. We had two cars. He and I were driving in one car, and the rest of the family was in the second car. He told me that afternoon that my mom would have surgery Tuesday morning for cancer. Oh, I was just shocked and floored. Dad, what? Why didn't I know? Mom didn't want to ruin my senior year, yada, yada, yada. Only moms understand that kind of thing. I stood there right by my dad when the doctor said, Mr. Trimble, I've done a lot of surgeries. We don't have a pathology report yet, but I just want to prepare you. It doesn't look good. My dad is a very quiet man, very godly man. Shook the doctor's hand and thanked him. Turned and he looked at me and said, we'll be all right. And we gathered our stuff and went back and get ready to go see mom. Sometime today, I'll have a long talk with my mom and wish her happy Mother's Day. You see, when life gets tough, others are listening. Mom and dad, you can't cave in. Husband and wife, you, you can't throw in the towel because there's too much at stake. Your children will learn to handle the crises in their life by the way they have listened to you handle the crises in yours. And if you are drama, there'll be drama. (laughs) But how did it resolve? We got to quickly finish the story. Verse 26 describes an earthquake that opened the jailhouse doors and and loosed the chains. The same hope that had made them spiritually free had now made them physically free. The hope that they had in Christ would soon be given to the jailers, and the jailers was going to kill himself, and Paul and Silas said, Hey, don't do yourself any harm. And they shared Jesus Christ. That day, the jailer accepted Christ. He went home. And his whole house accepted Christ as well. See, the basis of our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The basis of our hope is not self-help books. And those are okay. It's not financial uh, freedom. That's okay. It's not technological advancements. That has its place. Science and all of that is good. But it's not the basis of our hope. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. So how do we tie it all together? How do we bring it home to our homes? By the way, the same jailer that imprisoned them, the same jailer that oversaw their beatings, the same jailer that locked them up is the same jailer who took them home under house arrest and he bathed and put salve on their wounds as now a brother in Jesus Christ. So I'm talking to you to somebody who really kind of need to hear this whole thing on bringing it home. How do you bring it home? First of all, no matter what your circumstances, there's hope to endure. Don't give up because Jesus Christ hasn't given up. Don't don't get all disheveled and disheartened because Jesus Christ is still on the throne. Amen? Amen? 
And he's not an absentee parent. He is very much involved in our lives and in concern about your hurts and loves you so much that he died on a cross for you. Secondly, in Christ, there's hope to stay focused. There's hope to stay focused. Now, you got to understand, Paul and Silas kept the big picture in mind, didn't they? they? They prayed, they sang, and others were listening. You know, sometimes when we get in, the, in a crisis mode, our world becomes very small, doesn't it? I mean, it, it just shrinks down tiny. I was in Nashville, Tennessee for a graduation. My nephew John graduated. I was talking to a pastor in Tennessee, in Nashville, and he was telling me about the donations that they were taking and, and things that they were getting to help people. And I said, oh, man, that's awesome. And how are you going to distribute it throughout Nashville? He said, no, it's not going to Nashville. We're going to send it to Haiti. He said, in the church, we're helping one another in the church. And he had the big picture in mind, didn't he? Sometimes when we get in the crisis mode, man, we forget all about the big picture. And it just kind of comes down to a lockdown mode where it's this issue and, and this thing. And Jesus said, no, 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 keep the big picture in mind. Listen, what is the big picture in your home? Two words, glorify God. What is the goal of parenting for you as a parent? Teach your children, two words, to glorify God. What is your job in life? What is God's will? What is God's purpose for you? Starts with two words, glorify God. And in that, you'll find hope. By the way, one other thing, and you can clearly see it in the story if you just kind of take a, a break to think about it. There's hope to press on. There's hope to press on. You see, some of you this morning, you have a house, but it's not a home. Some of you have a marriage, but it's more like two single people living together than it is a couple in a covenant relationship. Some of you are in a situation with your children you never thought you would be in, and right now... In this moment, you may not give your situation much of a chance. And that's a good place to be because you don't need chance. You need hope. And the good news is, I can't give you a chance. But Jesus can give you his hope. And if I had a choice between chance or hope, and I do, I choose hope every time. Now you see, in our church, in our community, in our families, in this service, there are folks who have all but lost hope. And this morning, I simply would invite you to take a few moments to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27 says, Christ in you, the hope and glory. Listen, if your family's a mess... If your marriage isn't what it should be, if your home is in that crisis state, then let's get connected or reconnect to Christ, our hope and glory. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, my challenge to you is right there where you sit. Simply invite Jesus into your heart. Tell him you're sorry for the sins that you've committed, that he died on the cross for. 
invite him into your heart, then determine just to, to live for him the rest of the days and all the days of your life. Give him your heart. Hope. And maybe if you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ like you used to, I invite you to reconnect with Jesus. Maybe there was a point in time where you had a stronger faith in Christ than what you do now and it's just kind of waned over the years and maybe just the stuff of life has just worn you out or beaten you down. Man, I want to tell you there's still a song to be sung and a prayer that Jesus will answer. So I want to pray for you this morning. Father, in our church, there are many folks who need a good helping of hope. They need to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. They either need to connect with you for the very first time or reconnect with you. I know there are hearts here that are heavy, hearts that are concerned, hearts that are worn out and beaten down, health issues, financial issues, children issues, marital issues, relational issues. Father, my prayer is that it goes beyond inspiring us that we reconnect with you and put our faith, our confidence in your word and in who you are. And Father, may the Holy Spirit begin just to put heapings and helpings of hope in our heart. I just want to give you a moment to pray. You can pray right there at your seat. If you want to come to the altar, that's fine. But I just want you to pray. And as we begin this family series, would you pray that God, however your family is aligned, shows you truth that your family needs to embrace. Would you pray that right now? is found He is my light my source and my strength Let's pray together Father in Christ alone is where we find our hope It's not in better circumstances it's in a better relationship with you It's not in a different turn of an event, but it's in a turning of our heart back to you to get this hope again. So, Father, I want you to show things in my family, in my home, in my heart. I want you to show things in our church family, our church home, our church heart. Father, I want you just to do great things that we can't even describe. On earth those attitudes and actions in us 
Let it defeat us so that we can pray and sing again. So that when others watch us, and they will, they see us living with confident hope in the person and the word of Jesus Christ. Now look this way. Throughout the series, we're going to give you different ways to respond. I want you to grab a bulletin or one of the communication cards in the back of the pew. And I want to give you different ways to respond. Every Tuesday, I'm going to send out an email if you want it. It's not going to go out to the whole church. It's just going to go out to those who fill out the card, put in an offering plate that's going to go around, and uh, we'll put it in a database. And every Tuesday, so like this Tuesday, sometime in the afternoon, you're going to get an email from me that just is going to be an an extra little step in the sermon. And it's going to give a, a list of hope words, words that you can say to your family, your spouse, your children, that will encourage hope. There'll be hope verses that maybe you can share in in devotions with your children. There might be an activity listed there or a family event. Who knows, you might even play Scrabble this week and have a family night. So if you would like to receive those emails, just write your name, your email address, and that's all you need to do for that. We do have some life groups that you may want to take a part of. Chris Fowler has a parenting life group for dads. Laura Draper has a couple of marriage um, small groups, life groups, and those are incredible. If you want more information about that, fill out your name, just put life groups, and we'll route you, contact you, and get you in the right direction. This summer, in our Wednesday nights, family nights, uh, our kids and our adults, we're going to learn about worship, and I encourage you to come to that. Outside in the lobby, every week, there will be a resource table good books, books for uh, moms and dads, books for divorced couples, for stepmoms and stepdads, for singles. It's just wide range across the board dealing with marital issues, child rearing issues, building your child's self-esteem. And uh, we are not making, if we make a penny off of it, it's just because we've rounded it up to the nearest dollar. All right. And that's all we're doing. And we just want to put those resources in your hands and those do come at a, at, at a price and there'll be people out there. And, um, and then one other thing that we're going to do probably next week is your children learn from a certain curriculum published by Randall House. That curriculum has a link to it that they will send you, the parents, three emails or an email a week with three different ideas how you can go back and reinforce that message of your children have learned in, in Sunday school. For, for that week. It's absolutely free. And so we're going to test it this week. Not that, but we're going to test our ability to have some laptops out and you can just leave the service and go to a kiosk and just type in your information. It's absolutely free and it'll come to you every week. So you'll be hearing things like this, maybe not quite as detailed as this one was, but throughout this series so that you can follow up and follow through. Now we're going to finish the prayer as our ushers come forward to receive our Sunday morning tithes and offerings. Moms, don't forget your your bookmark gift. It's really cool, just a way of letting you know that we love you and we appreciate you. Father, I pray that you bless us as moms and dads, as family leaders. Father, I pray that you speak and challenge our hearts. God, that we might be people of hope 
that in this world where there's so much criticism, where there's so much wearing down, where there's so much just people being beaten down, we can be people who walk in confident hope because our hope is in you. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the only begotten Son of God that we can put our faith and our hope in. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand to your feet as you say amen and let's sing together.